Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31 this morning. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, how many are our foes. Many are rising against your people. Many are saying to our souls, there is no salvation for us in God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about us, our glory and the lifter of our heads. For you bless the righteous, O oh Lord. You cover us with favor as with a shield. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I ask that you protect us, your people, from the lies of Satan. I ask that you uplift us through your word and embolden us cause our hearts to trust in you when all is giving way in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So when I was little, most of you know, I grew up in Alaska, and um, I have this vivid memory of my first moose hunting story with my dad. I was, uh, I think I was about eight years old, and um, so this was my first big hunt, my dad and a couple of his friends and me, and uh, maybe some of you have been to Alaska, but the roads in Alaska, we don't have interstates, we just have uh, about three roads, um, two-lane roads. Uh, and so we go on this big hunt, and I live 20, my house was 20 miles out of town, and so we drove from my house, we went another maybe 60 to 100 miles further, uh, at a 74 Bronco, with the two-lane highway, and then once we got up there, we got off, and there was no road, and we just made our own trail through the tundra for miles, and my, I mean, I, I think we must have been 50 miles back. Um, and so I can remember as a little boy looking back, and I'm, I'm looking behind us, and all I see is like basically wagon trails from the 1800s. It's us, because there's no, but I don't even think there'd been a man in that part of the world until that time. Uh, and that was us. And so I can remember as a little uh, as a little boy thinking, what if we break down? Like, you know, what if something happens to this to this truck we're in, and we're 
what if we get a flat? We can't use a jack because I don't know if you've ever seen tundra. Tundra is basically like a moss carpet and it's really not firm at all. What if we get stuck where there was no cell phones, obviously in those days. Um, and so you're on your own. And I can remember thinking that just that fear that it was bringing up inside of me. And uh, one thing, I don't know if you've ever been on Tundra. Or, has anybody been on Tundra in here? No. Okay. So you know those little stump looking, those, they, they're like stumps under the Tundra? I don't know what the technical term is, but it's like washing, walking on big mushroom uh, tops. And if you, you can roll your ankle real easy and there's... If you go between them, you can sink down to your waist, so on and so forth. And I remember my dad, I wanted to go hunting earlier than eight, but my, my dad was, no, it's too, much, it's too dangerous, so on and so forth. And he used to tell me these stories, you know, you go out onto the tundra, and in the winter it's permafrost, which is ice under the tundra, but in the summer it melts, so it leaves these big watery holes, and you cannot see it. And so actually one of his friends was out hunting, moose hunting with him, and he fell in one of those, and his, his rifle caught the, the two stumps, and it saved his life because he would have drowned. And so I got all this going through my eight-year-old brain, and we're in the middle of nowhere. On top of that, there's grizzly bears all around. We're looking, oh, there's one over there and one over there. And, um, and we camp out on the, on the side of this hill, and we're above the Arctic Circle, so there's no trees. And you can, you can see for 100 miles in every direction, nothing but grizzly bears and mosquitoes. <laughs> so it is a cold, clear night. Um, I don't know if you've seen the, the northern lights. I think the technical term is the aurora borealis, what we call the northern lights. If you've ever seen them, they're pretty amazing. Well, if you're out in the middle of nowhere on top of a hillside as an eight-year-old kid and you see it, there's such power and awe in it. It's like someone is, is taking a curtain and pulling it across the sky, and it ripples, and it makes the sound, and you can hear it. And sometimes it turns blood red, and sometimes it's green, and sometimes it's purple, and sometimes it's blue. And it's very, when you're in the middle of nowhere, and the, it, it, there's no other ambient light around, it's a pretty awesome thing. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and we're sleeping in a canvas tent, and I'm in my mummy bag with my my face exposed, and I'm like this, and I'm eight years old, and I'm thinking, man, we just saw these grizzly bears. If a grizzly bear comes in the canvas tent, I can't get up and run. I'm, I'm going to roll away. And so, I, and in the middle of the night, I'm starting to shake because I'm cold. And I'll never forget this. This has been 42 years ago. I can remember me shaking and, you know, that because uh, of fear, and my dad slept in a cot next to me, and I was on the ground, and he reaches down, and he picks me up, mummy bag and all, and he brings me up to himself, to his bag and my bag, and the warmth and security. And I can remember after that first day and that first night, I was no longer scared. Why? Because my dad had it under control, and I felt secure. And for the next week, I had a blast. So in our passage this morning... We see that Peter and John, they're threatened, aren't they, by the religious leaders for preaching about Jesus Christ. They and their friends needed encouragement. We can imagine the feelings that they had. They were excited to preach and to teach all that they had seen and all that they had heard from the Lord Jesus Christ, and now they're threatened over that. And so no doubt they felt fear and they felt uncertainty. They needed comfort and strength to carry on in the service for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so God in his mercy and fatherly love provided that comfort to them. And they were emboldened. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I cannot think of a more timely passage of scripture than this one for the times that you and I are living in now. I mean, in the history of our nation, Christianity has been relatively safe. But now the message of Jesus Christ seems to be more and more under attack. And now Christianity has been deemed unessential or non-essential. What do we do? Where do we go? God shows us in our passage this morning. We go to the Lord in prayer. And so Peter and John and the church make their appeal to God. In verse 24, they appeal to the God of creation. In verses 25 through 26, they appeal to the God of revelation. In verses 27 through 28, they appeal to the God of history. And so in verse 24, they cry out, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And so under this threat, they cry out to the sovereign Lord. Now, Growing up in Alaska and going through the many things like I did, that story I told you, there's many other things like that, that, that prepared me in many positive ways to, to live this life in this crazy world. But the negative to it has been a tendency to handle things on my own without much thought. Mainly, if I'm not careful, I can be tempted to think, take things into my own hands and not rely heavily enough on God. That's my temptation. When I see threats to God's people, when I see lawlessness of the day, when I see the calling of good, evil, and evil good, and I see darkness for light, and light for darkness, it's easy for my fleshly self to come out. It's easy for my inner nacho libre to come out. Aren't you getting tired of getting dirt kicked in your face? I want a wing. A nice bow drive to the face, <laughs> or a punch to the face. That comes out. But it is in the Bible, not the wrestle your neighbor. No. But if I'm not careful, that's my tendency is to go there, right off the bat, like pshh. But that's not what the Lord wants us to do. What did they do in our passage in reaction to their threats? They were being threatened with imprisonment. They were being threatened by evil. As Thomas says in his commentary, is God able to deal with their threats? Is, is God powerful enough? They were in need of something more than warm feelings or a deity that simply brought them in touch with their inner strengths. And so what did they do in verse 24? They cried out, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. And that little piece of scripture comes from Psalm 146. And I'm going to read that to you. Psalm 146 says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. 
Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. And so what we see is these early Christians, they, they're ascribing glory to God as the creator of the universe. They recognize God's sovereign rule, and it is this sovereign rule that we're going to find throughout the rest of this prayer in Acts chapter 4. When we pray to God, we pray to the one who is in complete control of every molecule in this universe. That is who we are praying to. They continue in prayer in verse 25 and verse 26. Who through the mouth of, David, of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So here we see the God of revelation. This particular prayer that they pray comes from Psalm number two, which says, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And in the last verse, he says, Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. So God, think about, they, they pray this Psalm 2. Psalm 2 was written in like 1044 BC. So a thousand years before it ever happened, God told us exactly what was going to happen. He revealed to us exactly what would happen to Jesus Christ. That was a thousand years before it ever happened. And so the early church was witnessing the coming true firsthand of this prophecy from Psalm 2. They had seen the hatred toward Jesus. They'd seen the crucifixion of the Savior. This was no surprise. This was no accident. This was not some uncontrolled evil of evil men who reject the only one who could save them. It's none of that. This was more proof of the sovereign hand of God. What an encouragement to them as they face the suffering that they're about to face for preaching about Jesus Christ. And so God has graciously given us and them more proof that we can trust him in our suffering. We can trust him for suffering in the name of Christ. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so we see that they're praying to the God who is the creator and God who is the revelator. And now they're going to pray to the God of history, verse 27 to 28. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, God says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God did not spare his own son. God gave up his son. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The answer is he will graciously give us all things. Who will God do this for? You might be sitting here this morning thinking, is this, is this for me? Two verses earlier in Romans 8, 28 through 30, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you love Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, then you have been predestined. You have been called. You have been justified. And you have been glorified. Paul is so sure that he, he writes this in the past tense. This is done. It's done. It's already been done because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. How will he not also give you, graciously give you all things? If God did not spare his own son, you may be confident in the fact that he will spare no effort and he will exert all of his sovereign power to mercifully keep you. But it's times like these that can bring the temptation of unbelief in what God says about himself. Namely, that God is sovereign over the evil of the whole world. And so may God's word in our text here, verses 27 to 28, calm our souls. He says, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus. So who was who was?" Who was gathered together? Together, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the Romans, the Roman soldiers, and the people of Israel. So what did Herod do? He put a purple robe on Jesus. He mocked Jesus. He sent Jesus back to Pilate. What did Pilate do? Pilate was scared. He feared the people. His wife even told him, have nothing to do with this man. But because of his fear of the people, he handed over Jesus to be crucified. What did the Gentiles do? Well, the Roman soldiers, they mocked him. They slapped him. 
They pulled off his beard. They blindfolded him. They hit him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They tore his flesh off with whips. They put nails through his hands and feet, and they ran a spear up through him. And what did the people of Israel do? They shouted, crucify him. This was no doubt the greatest sin that has ever been committed. The murder of the sinless, perfect son of God. And yet, what does God tell us? They were gathered together, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 700 years before that, God said in Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Smitten by God. And in verse 10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, meaning God the Father, has put him, meaning Jesus, to grief. Yes, it was Herod and Pontius and the Gentiles and the people of Israel and us that murdered Jesus Christ, our sins. But ultimately, it was God. Ultimately, it was the hand of God that crushed his son. So if God is so sovereign over the greatest sin ever committed, then he's sovereign over every sin. God's sovereignty over the most evil act in history. What did it do, though? It brought about the best news in history, namely the, the death of Jesus Christ for the, for the sins of, of those who trust in, and, and put their faith in him. It came out too to good for us, didn't it? He took the worst evil act in history, and he brought about the best news in history through it. If this is true which it is, that God can use evil to accomplish the greatest news ever, then you can be sure that God can use lesser evils that you and I have done or that have been done to us for our good and his glory. That means as Christians, beloved by God, the banner over our life is Genesis 50, verse 20. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Doesn't say he uses it for good, it says he meant it for good, meaning he's sovereignly in control of it all. Peter and John and the early church could rest assured that the threats of the religious leaders and whatever might happen to them as a result of continuing to preach Christ crucified was absolutely controlled by the sovereign hand of our merciful Father in heaven. And so they continued to pray, and they said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so they're, they're asking God, and I think it's a good thing to, I mean, I think you must be masochistic to want to be uh, under suffering. I mean, it's not a bad thing to ask that God relieve that, but not only did they said that, look upon their threats, but they asked to be bold. 
They asked to be bold, that they would continue, that God would strengthen them to continue to be bold in their witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did God do? In verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I was thinking last night, I was like, man, that's, I, mean, I couldn't imagine like praying and then God just like shaking the building. How awesome would that be? I think, well, this never happened to me. It's God not, he must not listen to my prayers that much. I don't know. Is God shaking anything for me? When Jesus was crucified, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, meaning that, that, that God did it. And what happened? And the earth shook and the rocks were split. If you ever doubt if God is listening to your prayers as a believer, if you ever doubt that any, any uh, if you want to look for comfort, if you want to look for evidence, look to the cross because <laughs> it is at the cross that Jesus Christ took all of your sins and paid your full penalty for sin and took it upon himself. And God, because, because it was approved by God, what happened? The earth shook. So we can always look back to the cross and see the shaking of the earth. So as Christians, we can be confident in our Father in heaven. He is the God of creation. He is the God of revelation. He is the God of history. How do we respond to this God. How do we respond to that? Do we respond in prayer, which brings boldness, or do we respond in fear? Listen, this world is so full of uncertainty and chaos, and make no mistake about it, about it, everything that we see that's going on is just Satan trying to destroy the image of God and man. You can take it right back to there. The fear-mongering the burning of cities, the fraud, the lawlessness, the evil deeds done by evil men, and it seems like nobody gets in trouble. The world we live in is upside down. The message of the gospel is being railed upon. But we have nothing to fear. Jesus has won the victory on the cross. Jesus has destroyed the works of the devil. Jesus rules and reigns over the dark forces of this world. He rules and reigns over every man, every woman, every child, every king, every tyrannical dictator, every beast, every molecule of dust, and every virus. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Hebrews 1, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And that word upholds means he carries it from A to B. He's carrying it from point A to point B. He's carrying the universe from point A to point B. By the word of his power. In Hebrews 2, we read, Through death, Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power of death, the devil, and he has delivered all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. Before Jesus saved me, I was subject to lifelong slavery under the power of Satan. Why? Because of my fear of death. Because we all know we deserve to die. Romans chapter 1. But thank God, the work of Christ frees us from that. The whole world is scared of that, of death. But as Christians, it's been, death has been defeated. In 2 Timothy, God says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love 
and self-control. God gave me a great uh, um, illustration of this. Normally, uh, like the, I knew I was going to preach this on a couple months ago, maybe three, and I was like, man, I got a lot of time. I could... It was like, uh, like two days ago, I was like, I got nothing. That's usually my case. And usually I'm staying up like Saturday night. It's like five in the morning. I'm like writing stuff. I'm writing stuff in here. And poor Jill's usually my, the worst leader. She's asking me on Tuesday what I'm thinking. I'm like, I, I'll tell you on Saturday morning about 730. Uh, but anyways, this is awesome how the Lord worked in all this. Because, I, I mean, I was done at 11 o'clock last night. And I was like, man, I must be doing something wrong. But God in his sovereignty, I, I, this is so cool what, how, he, how he does this. So Christmas morning, after the big apocalyptic snowstorm that we had Christmas Eve, we, uh, Laura, Laura um, I think she was checking Facebook, and there was, a, there, was a, there was a young married couple in our church, and he has COVID, and she has COVID, and the, they have a little, a little baby, and they don't have any power, and they're probably going to have power for three or four days, and it's, you know, what, 15 degrees outside, Two COVID people and a little baby with no heat, no power, no lights. So, Laura, you know, we're, we're sitting there. What do we do? They got COVID. I, don't, I never had COVID. I'm, should we go get them? And so we decided, you know, I'm sitting there in my PJs. I'm like, well, I don't know. My PJs are feeling good. No. But <laughs> it was like, what? I mean, there's really, what are you going to do? You're going to go. There's no fear in the Lord. It's not a spirit of fear. We're going to go. So we decided to get all of our stuff. And so... Uh, Laura texts Art and Chris and telling them, you know, what, what we're going to do. And Art, uh, in his wise pastoral care, said, hey, you know, I've already had COVID. Let me go. Um, let me go. And we were like, well, we'll go. We'll go. We'll go with you and we'll put them in your car. Right. So I'm getting all prepared. You know, I got my uh, my, my uh, army mucklucks, these big green Alaska mucklucks. I was like, yeah, I finally got to get them out of the closet and I'm <laughs> running around my house. And I got these boot chains that you put on so you can walk on ice. And, you know, I got my heavy wool smock and I got my flashlight and my knife, got my, my pistol in case we have rattlesnakes. I don't know. <laughs> we might get run out, we might fall off the road and we have to live off the land for a couple of days. <laughs> so I'm getting all of that, right? I'm getting all that ready and I'm. It's kind of exciting. I'm like, yeah. We get, I get to Art's house. He comes out with a hoodie on. <laughs> on top of that, he's going to roll up there in a Mini Cooper. <laughs> now, I like Mini Coopers. They're cool. And I'm like, ah, man. But this is, this is, the, this is the point of this. Like the sovereignty of God. The, the night before Christmas Eve, Art drove that car here, and it snowed. And he said that on the way home, the car is all-wheel drive. He said it did great, it didn't slide. And so God in his sovereignty the night before had given Art just great confidence in the ability that that car could drive, right? And then on top of that, Art, Art was telling me, you know what? The sovereignty of God, the COVID that I had, this is Art speaking, I, I had COVID. This is why I had COVID. So now I could go help somebody with COVID and not have that fear of, think about that. God controls it all. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know, it was about 10, about 10 years ago, we had another snowstorm in our driveway. We had a real steep driveway and there was ice. So I go out and I'm like, my yard, I got trees. I'm like, I can make that. I'm from Alaska, dude. <laughs> so I got my truck, my diesel. I started going down the, down the yard and it started sliding sideways and I finally got it and I 
bam, hit this big tree and it put a big old U in the front. And I'm like, you know, the first thing I thought of was like, my wife is going to kill me. So I got out and sure enough, I look up at the top of the hill and she's in her like bathrobe with her like little wiggy womb, whatever thing on her head. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm from Alaska. Woman, get in the house. No. So, so I learned that lesson. So here we are. We're going on this great adventure. And I'm, I'm nervous because ice is no joke. My truck is a boat. So I used my son's truck, but it has mud tires and mud tires aren't the best on ice. Nonetheless, we go back there, and we're way back in the woods with Hank Williams Jr. I mean, way back in, in Sevierville to get, to get this couple from our church. And it's like this ap- uh, apocalyptic scene of cars and four-wheel drives off in the ditch. And it's icing, so we finally get on this, the, the, one of the roads that they're on, and it's just, it just looks like a skating rink. And I'm, like, and I'm just like starting to laterally slide, and I'm like, oh. So I like pull over for a second, here comes Art, beep, beep, this little Mini Cooper. Beep, beep, beep. And I was like, you go, Art. So I was like, all right. So I did the Christian thing out of love. I said, Art, you go first. So I figured if Art got stuck, we could help him, right? So Art makes it, I mean, that car just boogied right up that hill around the corner. I was like, man, that's awesome. So Laura and I were sitting down at the bottom of the hill, and I'm looking, and, it's, and the hill, and going up is no problem. It's coming down, so, and it comes down, and it turns real sharp at the bottom. So I'm sitting there looking at that, and I'm telling Laura, I said, all right, we got two things that's going to happen. Number one, and I couldn't tell which one would be worse. I mean, number one, ours is going to come sliding down that hill and not make that turn. You got a, a woman with COVID and a little baby, and they're going to go, bam, right into the trees. Or number two, I'm going to have to get towed out by a Mini Cooper. <laughs> I don't know which one was worse, because if that happened, I'd have to tear my robe and put ashes on my head. But so on the way back, Art is rolling. On the way up, he was following me. And I was like, I was a little worried about him, him being from Tennessee and you know, all that. Man, on the way back, that joker was flying. And I was like, I had to put the hammer down to keep up with him. And I was just looking at that. And as we were going... All, all of a sudden, all of this, uh, this snow was started blowing really hard, and the visibility was like barely visible at all. And I noticed on the back of Art's car, this Mini Cooper, it makes a perfect cross. Like there's a stripe in the back, and the symbol for them, it was at a distance, it looked just like a cross. And I can remember it was right at that moment, snow blowing hard, can't see well, you got all this chaos, follow Christ. Follow Christ. Christ, he can be trusted. He works all of his power to graciously help us, even when it doesn't make sense to us. As the worship team comes up, I want you to think of a few thoughts here in closing. In the chaos and evil of this world, follow Christ. When it is most tempting to start swimming laps in the anxious pool, swimming, swimming, and eventually you tire out and you just sink in that anxious pool. It's most tempting, trust in our Father in heaven. Are we going to swim in this pool of anxiousness? which leads to fear, or are we going to pray to the God of creation, the God of revelation, and the God who controls all of history? If you think about it, the time we live in now, the field is white 
for the harvest. The unbelieving world, think about this, the unbelieving world is most certainly thinking about death more than it ever has. It's all, it's just been bounded everywhere, isn't it? Think about that. Think about what an opportunity that is to proclaim the one who defeated death. What a great opportunity for the church to cast off all of our fears and proclaim the only one who can save sinners. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are so merciful and trustworthy and true. We thank you that you are the God of creation, the God of revelation, the God of history. You control all things. There's nothing that happens in this world that you are not ultimately in control of. I ask that you would just pound that into our hearts and let us absorb that and to believe it and to live in such a way. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.